the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, hello, friends. Welcome to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. My name is Mike Lee, and not only do I get to be the director of local ministries here at True Talk 800, 93.9 KPDQ, 104.1 The Fish, and 93.1 L Ray, but I also have the privilege of having dear friends in town. You may remember that I moved out from New York about six and a half years ago, and I went to an awesome church, Smithtown Gospel Tabernacle, which mentored me and really made me grow and own my faith for myself. And one of the friends I met there is in the studio right now. His name is Eric Black. And Eric is now with the Beliri Educational Center, being a missionary to Nigeria. So, Eric, it is a privilege and a pleasure to have you in town, first of all, much less on Different Speakers. How are you today? I'm doing just fine, getting accustomed to the West Coast. But besides that, I'm just fine. A little different from Nigeria, huh? Mm-hmm. So, Eric, uh, share with our listeners where you grew up in the first place and this odd trail that God led you on to end up in Africa, of all places. Okay. Uh, I spent most of my life in Kansas, although I was actually born in Iowa. But in Kansas, that's where I went to to school. That's where I became a Christian. It's where I met my wife. Uh, Two of our children were born in Kansas. And uh, after that, I moved to Texas, and I lived there in Austin for about three years before... Uh, heading out to the East Coast to New York, which is, uh, I guess, where we call our home right now, Long Island. Okay. And you make it seem all so simple and, and smooth and easy. So when did you come to know the Lord in the first place? I'm curious. Okay. Uh, I was just out of high school. Uh, I took a year off after high school, and then I was attending uh, college. And I was about halfway through my first semester, 19 years old, and... Uh, at that time in my life, uh, if, you had, if you had asked me, uh, not only uh, would I tell you that I wasn't a Christian, but I would, even, I would even boldly say that I don't believe that Christianity is true. Uh, so it was more than just maybe, uh, you know, somebody that grew up in church that kind of like drifted away. Uh, I really had, at that point, strong convictions that uh, Christianity wasn't true, but uh, God sent a couple of young people my way to convince me otherwise. So how was it growing up? What kind of a household were you raised in to have formed such opinions? Uh, I grew up in a middle-class American household. We went to church um, every week, and uh, I love my parents, and I, I, uh, I still have good relationship with the church that I used to go to. I love those people. But uh, for some reason, uh, during those years, there was just kind of a disconnect uh, to me I didn't see, uh, I didn't see any uh, reality, I guess, in in God or in Jesus. So, what changed things for you? Um, what turned the tide? Because growing up in the church and being relatively unconvinced is a story that a lot of people could share. Yeah, 
Uh, well, when I was uh, just right out of high school, and you know, I, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do with my life, and my parents kind of gave me an offer that they would help me either pay for my first year in school, or they would help me pay for this trip that our church was doing down to Honduras. And I remember when I went to Honduras, one thing you have to understand is, you know, I was, even though I was a, a good student and a good kid, I really had a lot of troubles, uh, struggled with, with alcohol and uh, been arrested a few times. But instead of going to college, I chose to go on this trip to Honduras, and it was just a two-week trip, and it just opened my eyes up, uh, I guess, for most of my life. I really just thought that a lot of the world revolved around me. And when I went down there, uh, not only, you know, of, of course, seeing people with needs open, opens your eyes. Uh, but more than that, I saw, <clears throat> I saw a Christian community that despite their circumstances that, that I really felt sorry for them, but yet they were really joyful in their, their faith in God. And that kind of set me on a path of, of seeking. I kind of wanted to know this. And uh, I even, I, I specifically remember one time I was uh, walking up to the campground where we were staying in Honduras, and there was a young man, he was just 16 years old, and he was praying in Spanish with, with tears coming out of his eyes, sitting there alone. And, uh, and uh, to this day, I have no idea what he was praying about. But uh, it, for some reason, you know, this was 20-some years ago, and this image just sticks in my mind. And I really believed, like, you know, he was really talking to somebody, and I wanted to know who he was talking to. So, so why did he go in the first place? You, you grew up in this uh, church-related family, relatively unconvinced. Was it just the novelty of going away for a couple of weeks? Yeah, I don't know. Um, it's been such a long time, I don't really remember what inspired me to go, uh, except um, I was pretty unconvinced about what I wanted to do in college, and my dad made a pretty convincing argument that he would, you know, it was almost like I had to choose between one or the other. So I think my dad had some uh, some wisdom in that decision. That sounds like some good seeds were planted on that trip. Yeah. So what happened after that, after you got back to the States? Um, well, um uh i was i was working at a restaurant for a year and um i had i had had recently gone through a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center and um you know so i was around a group of people with with alcoholics anonymous and and i i'm not necessarily endorsing that or putting it down you know for what it is but uh, you know in that organization they they teach about a god not necessarily the christian god but um i just uh, i i came across some other friends that we were just curious and uh we would maybe be what you would call kind of like the the seekers for truth like the the hippies in california or something i think we thought we were a lot cooler than we really were <laughs> but uh, or, or we thought we were more open minded we thought we were more enlightened something i don't know but uh, but nevertheless, um, it really was a time where I was searching for truth and getting to a point where I, I didn't believe that Christianity was the way. I did uh, start looking into like Eastern religions and 
in our town, there was also a large community of people that were involved with Wicca and witchcraft. And, you know, I went to some of their meetings and I didn't really feel like that was a good idea afterwards. And uh, so it, it was during this time where a couple of friends uh, that I didn't really know very well, they were kind of like minor acquaintances that came and they were telling their experience. I, I had known them before they'd become Christians, or I knew one of them before they'd become Christians. And uh, it was him and his friend that really convinced me to to take another look. So ha- having known this one gentleman before he came to know Christ and then afterwards, did you see a noticeable change? Did anything really stand out to you? Yeah, because uh, when I knew this young guy before he was a Christian, he, his life was pretty messed up. And uh, he was always getting into fights. He was always depressed. Uh, never saw him smile. Every time I talked to him, he was complaining about something. And uh, part of what drew my attention is I, I saw the transformation in his life. Uh, he wasn't getting into the same trouble he was. And he was always really uh, joyful and optimistic about his life and his future. So was it easy to be skeptical at first when you've when you've seen this man do such a drastic change? Or conversely, did it pique your interest saying, he's, he's been through something, he's seen something I want to find out more about? Yeah, I think I was at a stage in life where, uh, where I just wanted something real, uh, not just something theological or in the sky or imaginary, but I wanted something that, that was real. And uh, then uh, looking at him, uh, I saw that there, there was something that 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 had had transformed him something something genuine, and you could see that it was evident. Yes. Well, that's good to hear. So, where did you meet Cindy, your wife, in the first place? We were high school sweethearts, and uh, we met while I was—I uh, think I was still a junior in high school. It's kind of funny because uh, I asked her to date me, and uh, she originally turned me down. She said no. Uh, later, she confessed it was because. She thought I was a loser, you know, long hair, <laughs> earrings, and I was hanging around with people always getting into trouble. Then a year later, uh, you know, we, we'd kind of drifted apart in different circles of friends, and then we drifted back together. And, uh, and this time I was just saying, you know, because the attraction was obvious, but I was saying, you know, I'm not going to ask her out. She already dumped me once or turned me down once. So We guys don't like getting rejected. Yeah. So the second time she did, she asked me out on April Fool's Day. That way, if I said no, she could say, oh, April Fool's. Oh, so she had a backup plan. Yeah, but I said yes. And how many kids are you blessed with now? Uh, Right now, we have six children. And their ages range from where? Our oldest is 19 years old, and our youngest is five. When we return with my dear friend Eric Black, we're going to find out more about how an engineer ends up uprooting from the comfort zone and going off to be a missionary in Nigeria. You can read more about his family at theblacks.jimdo.com. That's theblacks.jimdo.com. More with Eric Black next on Difference Makers on True Talk 800. 
Hello, friends. Welcome back to Difference Makers. Mike Lee here, enjoying coffee with an old friend. His name is Eric Black. He is a missionary to Nigeria, and you could read all about his and his family's story at the website theblacks.jimdo.com. That's theblacks.jimdo.com. So welcome back, Eric. Good to have you with us in the studio today, much less in the States and, well, in our own house. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, we had Eric and Cindy and the kids over, and they swung by last night. So we're packing six kids in a room, and it's it's like a slumber party. So hopefully they're having a good time off at Omsi. Well, we get to hang out here and learn more about you. So before the break, we're talking about how you met your wife, Cindy, in high school Mm -hmm. and how she actually asked you out. After rejecting you a year or so earlier Mm -hmm. on April Fool's Day, of all things. So did you take it seriously? Were you wishfully hoping that she'd be serious? Or were you skeptical that she was playing a prank on you? I wasn't skeptical. I uh, it, It was obvious at this point that the two of us were attracted. And I was actually, I think... Uh, somewhat expecting her to ask me out. I wasn't sure that it was going to be on April Fool's Day, but uh, I guess that I was uh, eager enough to say yes, that I was willing to take the chance. I mean, you know, I was 18 years old, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So where's your first date? Uh, Don't remember. You'll have to ask her. I don't know if she remembers our first date. We'll have to check that out. Well, And how many years have you been married now? Uh, Let's see. We were married in 1993. Uh, So... This year, it'll be 22 years. Wow. Married 21 years. Good for you. How old were you when you got married? On the younger side? I was 20 years old, and she was 18. She had just been out of high school for about two months. So you mentioned earlier on that you had been raised in a church-going home, but you didn't have that belief until you went on a trip to Honduras and afterwards experienced people who had gone through change and that you'd seen that in them. So. Was there any particular mentoring figure in your life or something that pushed you over the edge to say, you know what, there is a God after all, and I want to learn more about him? Um, I, probably the the pastor of the church that we were going to. Um, you know, my wife and I, uh, we were dating at the time. She was um, She was still in high school at the time. But, uh, you know, I started going to this church. It was an Assemblies of God church. And uh, during that time, the church itself, I think, was, was experiencing, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of young people coming to know the Lord. And so there was a large population of teenagers, especially teenagers that kind of came from, uh, from my background or, uh, or even like worse, you know, really, you know, people that had been in, in prison and stuff like that. Um, and so, uh, the, the pastor of the church, he was, uh, he was a non-churchy type guy. He was a young pastor. I think at the time he was like 22, 23, 24 years old and just fresh out of Bible college. And, uh, I think I was just attracted to the simplicity of it. Uh, it was, it was an atmosphere that wasn't, you know, tied down to a lot of like, uh, traditions and expectations and and really, they just they accepted people the way they are when they came in, and uh, so it, it made it to be an easy environment. So the mentor I would say was was probably the the friends that I already told you about, but also the pastor of the church. And how did young Cindy go along with all this? 
hmm. in the time you were still dating before you got married and, and after being newlyweds? Well, as a, as a young believer, I wasn't a very good evangelist to my girlfriend. In fact, I, I felt really uncomfortable. I was afraid that, that she would think that I'd lost my mind. And so I was really quiet about my faith. Uh, but at the same time, maybe, uh, discreetly exposing her to, to different situations, uh, being around other friends as we were talking about Christianity and, and our new faith. And she was definitely present in that, but I wasn't really forceful to her. And it was really more out of a frustration that she finally came to church because she saw that um, a lot of times I was too busy because I would be at a prayer meeting or I wanted to go to church for a different service and uh, she started to feel like we were separating, which there's some truth to that. So she did finally come to church. And the first time she came to church, she gave her life to Christ. But she came more out of frustration rather than, uh, you know, coming to church to find God. But it was That's more really of like, funny. I want to see what's going on. This has taken all of his time and attention. I want to see what's <laughs> going on here. So so how did your respective families react to your, your newfound faith at this point? Uh, <clears throat> I'm not so sure about, uh, Cindy's family. She, uh, her father had already passed away. Um, her mom, I think was, was fairly okay with it. My parents, on the other hand, uh, they did, uh, react a little bit. Um, not only, not only because of, of my new faith, but, uh, it was shortly after that, that I was really convinced that I wanted to become a missionary and, uh, and I was talking about uh, leaving college because you remember I was in my first semester and uh, going to join this organization that I'd heard of called Youth with a Mission. And uh, so then my parents, like the next day I came home and my parents had these books on the table about different cults and things. They thought that I'd joined a cult or something. And, and uh, yeah. That's really funny. <laughs> so all these years they were hoping that you would – straighten up and fly right and all of a sudden you get on fire for the lord and it's as if the brakes are put oh wait, wait wait a second we didn't mean that extreme like go to africa christianity yeah, did we it was it was a little bit like that um i mean i had at that point i'd gone for, uh over a year without drinking alcohol and so and i was and i was working at a job i, I mean i wasn't like uh uh you know like middle class or anything like or or upper class certainly but my life wasn't totally messed up. And, and I do think that it was kind of a shock because it was a radical change uh, that, that affected my direction and my ambitions, my priorities. And, and they saw that. And I think they were just maybe a little bit concerned and, and rightfully so. They were just loving parents, wanting to make sure that I wasn't getting into something weird and crazy. So what were you studying at this point? Electrical engineering. And did you like that? Did things like that come easily to you? Were you always a bit of a, a mad tinkerer, numbers guy? Uh, yeah, when I was in high school, uh, I was really good at math, uh, and uh, I took physics and some of uh, you know some of the other science and math courses. I was in calculus when I was in high school, uh, so yeah, um, I was always pretty good at math. And even there in in school at uh, at the at the university level, that first semester, I was I was doing really well. Um, I remember one time one of my teachers, I asked him later how I did on the test, and he says. You did surprisingly well, considering you never come to class. And so, well, that, that's high praise. <laughs> and what did you end up graduating in? 
I did, uh, years later, I ended up graduating in electrical engineering. But, uh, but I, I did. I, I, dro- I dropped out of school so that I could go be a missionary. And so um, at the semester, the first semester break, uh, I withdrew from the classes that I had already pre-enrolled in and uh, planned at that point to go to Youth with a Mission and do our missionary training. To, well, for, our plan was first to get married and then go and do that training. So you got married relatively young, and bang, you're, you're off into the mission field. How was that transition for young newlyweds? Uh, well, I'll start with our experience at Youth with a Mission. We did the discipleship training school, and uh, honestly, what I always tell people is that was probably the best thing for us, uh, especially being newlyweds. We had a lot of uh, a lot of baggage that we were bringing into the marriage that we didn't realize. Uh, I think still being young Christians, our our minds uh, had not been transformed, although we're we're still transforming. But back then, we were really young and immature. So the discipleship training school, in my opinion, provided us with a lot of uh, fundamental things that we've we've implemented over the years that have given us. Uh, what I really consider a successful marriage. But um, after that, we did a, a school of evangelism with Youth with a Mission, and we didn't actually go on to the mission field. After the school, um, we were then qualified to become like full-time staff with Youth with a Mission. And both Cindy and I, we, we prayed about it, and we just didn't feel like the timing was right, uh, which was awkward for us because... When we got married, there was really that was the expectation was that we were just going to go right onto the mission field, and uh, all of a sudden we both kind of felt like God was putting the brakes on it, and uh, we felt like God was leading me to go back to school and to finish my engineering degree. So we didn't jump right out right out into the mission field, uh, but um, it was 2007 when we finally. So this was like 15. Uh, you know, 14 or 15 years later, actually, that we finally uh, went onto the mission field full-time. I mean, we did, like, participate in short-term outreaches over the years, and and so we it's not like we divorced missions. We were still very involved. So early on in your marriage, it seems like both of you really knew that you'd be called off to the mission field. Are there any particular signs or stories you could share with us that confirmed that for you? Um, yeah. Well, when I was uh, just, I'd, I'd just been a Christian for a couple of months, and uh, I was reading this biography of Keith Green. Uh, he was a, you know, a famous musician. He's, he's, he's dead now. Many people, I'm sure, have heard of him. But, sure, one of the great legends of the contemporary Christian music scene. Yeah, and so uh, I was reading a section in that where, where Keith and his wife, and uh, it, it was Lauren Cunningham and his wife, They'd gone out to a beach resort or something like this for a weekend of prayer. And one of the things that they were praying specifically is that God would send them 100,000 young missionaries that would go onto the mission field. And as I was reading that, as a, just a baby Christian, uh, it was almost like, it was, it was almost as strong as like an audible voice, but I felt like God was saying, Eric, that, that prayer was for you. So you were one of them. You heard you heard the call. Well, I can't really say that I was one of the one hundred thousand people. If if God answered their prayer exactly that way, because if you talk to youth with a mission, they would say now they've had 
you know, like half a million people or something like that answer the call to go in, into missions. But I just felt like for me, uh, you know, when I heard that that's what they were praying for, I just felt like that's what God was saying to me is that that prayer was for me. And do you think Cindy was immediately on the same page or did that take any convincing? Nope, that, that took some convincing. Uh, there was a little bit of tension there. Even after she became a Christian, there was uh, a little bit of a delay. Uh, when we return with Eric Black, missionary to Nigeria, we'll hear more about this convincing part of his marriage with Cindy and going off into the mission field. You can read more about their story at theblacks.jimdo.com. And you're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. Hello, friends. Mike Lee here. You're listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. And I'm enjoying great conversation with an old friend from New York, my bump to into at our old church. And at the time, Eric Black was an engineer, but by the time it was all said and done, he and his family moved off to Nigeria to become missionaries. So Eric, you were explaining how initially Cindy wasn't 100% on board with this. How did that work out for you? Uh, yeah, so there was, there was a, uh, I think, about a two-month period of time where I was convinced that that's what I wanted to do with my life. And of course, uh, a lot of my friends were uh, not so convinced that I should leave school since I was doing so well. Uh, of course, my parents felt that way too. And and so uh, regarding our, our marriage, you know, Cindy, I think, at least had the realization that if she married me, that's she would have to be committing to kind of live that same that same lifestyle. And so we, um, you know, for a period of time, we 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 were maybe doubting a little bit that we would even get married. Uh, it's not like we put the engagement off or anything like that. But um, there was uh, I wish she was even here to share the testimony. But there was a night at church that we had a visiting missionary, and we had a time of prayer after the service just for people that were maybe uh, you know praying about going into missions. And uh, it was more of a, a surrender, I think, in her heart where. You know, she 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 saw that it was it, it was uh, needed. I mean, we we need a lot of missionaries around the world in various places, and she just kind of surrendered her heart to God and said, oh, "Okay, God, I'll go wherever you send me." And uh, she said, "You can." She said to God, "You can even send me to Africa." And this was, you know, back during the days when they were playing that song, "Lord, please don't send me to Africa." So, so was she just saying that glibly, or do you think she was a hundred percent serious? I think she was a hundred percent serious, and uh, you know, after she shared those things with me, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't recall how long it was, but it was just a very short period of time where we said, "Okay, this is what we're doing," and uh, started going in that direction. And what experiences did you have over the years, both in the states working in engineering? homeschooling your children that prepared you to best equip you for the big move to Africa? Um, I think what, what equipped me most, well, I, the, the training at youth with a mission was, was very good. Uh, but you know, like I said, even after that training, I, I, we still didn't feel like we were ready. Maybe it just wasn't God's timing, but, um, what, where I really felt, what I felt helped us a lot was just getting involved with our church. Uh, even though we knew that we wanted to to go onto the mission field, we felt like, well, as, as long as we're here, as long as 
we feel like God has called us to be in the U.S. We should be involved in the church actively, finding ways to to serve in the church, leading Bible studies, uh, leading outreaches, and and so forth. And so, I think some of those things uh, just kind of helped build our confidence in in uh, kind of like taking a leadership role in ministry. And I do think that uh, even even though my my engineering degree didn't teach me how to be a missionary specifically, I do think that there were a lot of skills that, that I learned through that that helped prepare me. Well, it certainly didn't hurt at that mm-hmm. point, right? Yeah. Do you think a lot of us miss the big picture of things because we're so focused on the end of the game that we miss what's immediately in front of us? You mentioned being sure to delve into the church you were currently serving at and being served at and being involved, even though somewhere down the line you knew that you were called into missions? Well, I think, I think the, the big picture is that we, uh, we continuously need to put ourselves before the Lord and just ask Him where He wants to be and what He wants us to be doing. And uh, I think that wherever we are, we should be looking for the purpose of why we are in that spot. Instead of just always looking for things in the future, we should be focusing, okay, well, for now I'm here. God, what do you want me to do? So So even though you were a successful engineer, husband, father, in a relatively comfortable suburban setting back on Long Island in New York, what was the final straw that you believed God was leading you out of this comfort zone? Uh, There wasn't really a final straw. But uh, it was kind of a gradual process because even when I went back to school, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of friends that were doubtful. They were kind of like, okay, they did their missionary training. Eric's going to go to school. He's going to find a comfortable job, and he's just going to, you know, go down that path and not look back. Um, but that, was, that wasn't the truth at all. Uh, even in, during school, I even, you know— uh, I even questioned again, like I even had thoughts of dropping out again to go into the mission field, but I just kept going back to be like, okay, God, you've called me to do this for some reason. And I just persevered through it and I, I enjoyed it, but uh, I, I wasn't quite sure why God was leading me down that path. But um, after I worked for, for, uh, for National Instruments in Austin, Texas, I worked there for a few years, uh, they transferred me out to New York and it was almost immediately when we moved to New York that we felt like God was uh, starting to stir up our nest. I mean, we had always been wondering, okay, God, when are you going to send us out? We didn't feel like God had called us to, uh, you know, spend 40 years building up our 401k or whatever. And uh, so immediately when we got to New York, one of the challenges that we faced was that uh, before we could buy a house in, in New York, we had to sell our house in Texas. And, of course, the houses were a lot more expensive in New York, but that's maybe besides the point. That's for sure. Uh, Yeah, you know about that. Oh, yeah. You want to hear something crazy? Uh, We lived in a relatively undesirable neighborhood on Long Island. And to rent a home that was split, because we had rented on the other side of the home, we paid more than seven or $800 more per month than we're paying for our current mortgage to own in Oregon. Go for you. So thank God for that. I never thought it was going to happen, to be honest with you. Yeah. But uh, New York's just a different animal altogether when it comes to cost of living and expenses. Yeah. And and this was uh, around the year 2004. It was just before, like, the housing bust happened. And, uh, 
you know, so we're there in New York and we're living with my parents. And at the time we had four children and as much as we love my parents and they love us, um, you know, it, it just takes a little while for people to start rubbing each other the wrong way. So we were really anxious to sell our house in Texas so that we could buy a house in New York. And, and at the same time, um, you know, the process took six months. And in those six month periods, uh, the house that we were looking at or the type of house we were looking at six months ago was now $50,000 more expensive because the prices were just jumping up so rapidly. And, and, and I remember there was a day that I just, I felt like God was just telling me, you know what, for whatever reason, and maybe missions, because like maybe we weren't going to be in New York permanently, I felt like God was saying, maybe you should just rent. And a lot of people thought we were crazy for that. Uh, but anyway, I, I wanted to talk to my wife and say, hey, uh, I have something I want, I want to share with you. And she says, no, 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 I have something I need to share with you first. And I don't remember who actually shared first, but she had the same thing on her heart that maybe we should not get too settled where we where we were in New York. And uh, the day after we, we agreed and made that decision, the next day we got an offer on our house in, in Austin. The housing market was completely opposite in Austin. In New York, it was a, it was a seller's market. But in Austin at that time, it was a buyer's market. And so, oh, so you were getting pounded on both ends. Pounded on both ends. Yeah. We <laughs> ended up losing money on our house in, in, uh, in Austin, actually. And, uh, you know, so when we moved out to New York, we kept hearing the same message that they told us in Austin, you know, buy as big of a house as you can because it's going to appreciate and then you'll, you'll make money. Well, we'd been burned on that in Austin. We followed that advice and we actually lost money on our house. And when we would share that in New York, people were saying, no, that's not possible. You should just go ahead and buy a house. Well, you know, a couple of years later, look what happened. You had sure. a housing bust. And we would have been selling our house right in the middle of that bust. So we do feel like God was leading in us in that. But that's just maybe a small part of to answer your previous question. We just we really felt like uh, during our time in, in New York, Constantly, we just felt like God was telling us, don't get too settled. And we did live in, in New York for, for three years before we went to the mission field. And, and I had made some commitments with my company, and I didn't want to, uh, to let them down on that and all of those things. But, um, but yeah, from the time we moved to New York, we felt like God was uh, telling us that we should start thinking about where we're going to go next. So at that point, what drew you even closer to the mission field? Uh, well, the seeds were planted and it, it seemed like God confirmed it both on your heart and in, on your wife, Cindy's heart that not to get too comfortable in New York at this point. So we're kind of fighting giddy giddiness about maybe this was finally the time after all these years. Uh, a little bit. Uh, but it just seemed like as time went, went on, our hearts were more and more excited about doing that, uh, about going onto the mission field and uh, both my wife and I were participating in some, some outreaches through our church. Uh, my wife took our 12-year-old daughter to China, and uh, a few months after that, I led a group from our church to Morocco. And, you know, during this time, uh, I'm looking on the Internet, trying to find different missionary opportunities that, are, that, that were out there. And I was actually trying to look for somewhere I could use my engineering degree because it was kind of, you know, a specialized area 
for measurement and instrumentation and automation and control systems. And uh, boy, I sure couldn't find any of those uh, mission opportunities that included that at the same time. You know, looking through organizations like uh, Youth with a Mission and, and, and different missionary organizations. So we were, during that time, we were looking and doing research, trying to find out what we wanted to do. But then uh, the, uh, yeah, so uh, to make a long story short, our missions pastor came to us and he asked us, he said, he said that he needed a couple that could go to Nigeria to help pioneer a Bible school. And thus came Eric and Cindy Black and family missionaries to Nigeria. Read more about their story on their website, theblacks.jimdo.com. More with Eric Black next on Difference Makers right here on True Talk 800. You are listening to Difference Makers on True Talk 800. A dear friend is in the studio right now. His name is Eric Black. Eric and Cindy and their kids are missionaries to Nigeria, and we could read more about the details at their website, theblacks.jimdo.com. That's theblacks.jimdo.com. So, Eric, thanks for coming in and hanging out with us today. I really appreciate that. Having a lot of fun. So before the break, we were sharing about how God had prepared you for a temporary season in New York before opening the doors to the mission field. So how did that go for you? Uh, New York, we loved it. Um, it was a it was a good preparation because you know going from the Midwest out to New York, I already got to experience a little bit of culture shock. But I can uh, imagine. The, the experience that I had in New York was a lot different than I thought it was going to be. Um, what did you expect and what did you get? Um, you know, New York always has a reputation that, that people are, I don't want to say rude, but just very straightforward. They tell you what they think and sometimes it can come across as rudeness. Um, but what I found was uh, a community of other believers, part of which you were a fellowship of. and. Uh, they were the the friendliest, loving people that uh, that I think that that I've ever been a part of. There's a local pastor here, Charlie Gessler, and he's come up with a term called Portland Nice. And Portland Nice is the superficial friendliness and politeness that you can have with a stranger without having the need to really get to know each other or have anything invested in each other's lives. So as much as people will knock New York, which is where I'm from. I loved the fact that New Yorkers are what you see is what you get. And if you don't like it, then tough on you. But if you love me, I will love you with everything I have, like you've been part of my family forever. So I miss that to a degree. But fortunately, we have experienced some of that through the body of Christ, through our churches, large, small, different denominations, ages. And I think we should look forward to that somewhere down the line in heaven for as long as the Lord would tarry or for as long or short a period of time we have left on this earth. So along those lines, how has the transition been to Africa? Because you and Cindy felt this at a young age, but the kids just kind of had to go along with you. Did they also get born with a missions-minded heart? Uh, Yeah, we at no point just felt like we were dragging the kids along. In fact, uh, when, when we first got the proposal to go to Nigeria, and uh, my wife and I were, were were definitely thinking like this is something we need to take a look at. Uh, my wife took the uh, took uh, she had ambition to go to the library and check out books on Nigeria, and uh, she read them to our children. Uh, and <clears throat> and before we made the decision, we all sat down as a family, 
uh, like I said, we had four children at the same t- at, at that time, and uh, I distinctively remember that we we sat down and we prayed about it, and then we just went around one by one just to ask everybody's opinion, and it was it was unanimous. We all felt like that's what God was calling us to do. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah. Now, how old was your youngest at this point when you were asking the four about our, where they felt their hearts were called? Our oldest was Elijah, and he would have been, I think. Uh, three years old or almost three at the time. Yeah. And our, our oldest daughter, Hannah, she, uh, she had already really had a conviction in her heart that she wanted to be a missionary to China. And that's what she's preparing for right now. She's in college, but you know, so we'd, we'd raised our children to be missions minded, uh, already, whether, whether that means, uh, missions in a foreign country or missions at home. <clears throat> we, uh, we always made a point, when possible, to take our children out with us to do ministry as a family, when possible. So you didn't really force it down their throats, but you put them in opportunities to see the good side and the effects of missions on the world, and it seems like they're on board. So what exactly do you do in Nigeria right now? Uh, okay, well, we've we've lived in a few different places, and we've worked with a couple of different ministries, but a couple of years ago, uh, about three years ago, really, that uh, the Lord put on our hearts to to go to uh, this place in Nigeria called Beliri and uh, to to pioneer a new ministry there. So we're not like working with uh, with an organization right now. We're just missionaries that are sent from our home church. And uh, we have uh, really, <clears throat> we have four areas that, that we're targeting, although we never feel like we have time to, to, to give each one the attention we want. Uh, but uh, my wife and I, we we feel like uh, we'd like to be involved in, in family ministry, and, and we are to a certain extent, never as much as we want to. But we feel like God has blessed us, and we've learned we've learned so much after uh, 21 years of marriage. And and I can I can say with confidence that it was it was implementing the teachings of Jesus in our life and the people that had taught us. Um, how to have a healthy family. Those were the things that blessed us, and we'd like to pass that on to the other people that are there. Uh, we also have a discipleship school, and uh, which mostly consists of young people. It's very much like what we learned in Youth with a Mission at Discipleship Training School. It's very similar to that, but we've, con- uh, we've uh, changed it, modified it a little bit, uh, contextualize it for the, for the people there. We also do education. And since I'm an engineer, a large portion of that education is in the area of technology. Many of the the young people that come to our discipleship school, I would say 70 or 80 percent of them are finished with secondary school, but they never graduated and they're unemployed. And, uh, you know, uh, technology is improving or, or growing all over the world. And many of these young people have never even touched a computer. So we give them computer training and uh, for those that are interested to continue after the discipleship school, we also do other technical training uh, in the area of uh, electrical engineering technology. It's not like university, you know, like a bachelor's degree. It's, it's also more than just high school physics. But we teach them how to, to build circuits. We have the equipment there that they can build the circuits and test the circuits, both analog and digital circuits. And uh, we even have some microcontrollers that we haven't taught yet. So if anybody out there is listening and they're an engineer and, and they're wanting to go onto the mission field, 
but they don't know how to use it. Well, you can come. We've got some some TI launch pads, and we've got some uh, microchip uh, pit kit boards. You can come out there and uh, help teach microcontroller programming. And we do computer programming as well. So um, that gives you a, an idea of some of the, the educational things that we're doing. So let's see. I've, I've listed uh, family, discipleship, education. The fourth area is evangelism. And we find that there's a big need for evangelism, both in the, the community that we, we are, which is, um, let me say, is, is probably a, a very churchy community. Uh, 80% or 90% of the people would profess to be Christians. Um, but at the same time, they, uh, they're very undiscipled, uh, if that's the correct word. Is that really a word, undiscipled? I don't know. Uh, maybe there's a, a lack little of behind in the How discipline department. Or... Um, yeah, and there's a lot of young people in the community that they, uh, uh, they go to church just simply because their parents go to church, and the community is going to look down on them if they don't go to church. It's a very communal atmosphere in, in, in Nigeria. So oddly you enough, it's cultural to the point that well, we see a lot of that in America too. Absolutely, it's very similar. And but but not only do we want to do evangelism with those uh, with that with those people, but um, also there's a lot of other tribes that are in our area, like the Fulani. We don't have to travel too far to the Kanuri, and these are very uh, what uh, you know people that study missions. You know, they would say that these are unreached people groups, and so. It's just such a strategic area where we are that we have uh, such a strong foundation of, of Christianity, or at least a his, uh, uh, historical foundation, at least. And then uh, yet we're surrounded by so many un, uh, unreached people groups as well. So part of our goal is to do evangelism and uh, in the future also discipleship with, with those people groups as well. So in our final minute, Eric Black, missionary to Nigeria, if someone had missions put on their hearts, would you take them for a temporary trip, a fact-finding journey, or what? Absolutely. And my my challenge is that, uh, you know, you don't have to be a pastor to be a missionary. Uh, I never got a degree from Bible college. And, uh, you know, our our children, even as young as 14 and 15 years old, have been helping us in the school, helping to teach English, uh, helping to uh, teach. We have some Lego Mindstorms kits. We have 30 of those kits over there, and, and uh, those are designed for secondary school students. I would say, like homeschool groups, you know, why don't you uh, train some of your, your, your children to learn how to use Mindstorms and send them over to us, not just for two weeks, but make it like three months or six months or a year. Thanks so much, Eric Black, missionary to Nigeria, for joining us here. If you'd like more information, check out the website, theblacks.jimdo.com, which I have linked up to our website at truetalk800.com. And thank you so much for listening to Difference Makers right here on True Talk 800. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.